is caught. It's history. A Cardinals four-game sweep of the Cubs and Wrigley for the first time since 1921. St. Louis back in the postseason. First time since 2015. A Wrigley Field massacre. And how sweet it is. And Bader launches one out to deep left. Into Big Lynn and he hit the painting. He hit the painting for Fred Bird. You've got to be kidding me. Hi, welcome back to Conversations with Saruti. This is your host, Ben Saruti, and this is another uh, Prospects After Dark crossover with Kyle Reese. We are talking Prospects 15 through 11, or 11 to 15, on this seventh episode of our second season of Conversations with Saruti. Kyle, how are you doing? I'm okay, Ben. How are you? I'm I'm doing quite well. Uh, uh, it's It's been a good, good week for the most part. Uh, back from spring break. I did forget to mention that in the last episode. So I'm back at the grind after spring break. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's been a good week back so far. Um, you ready to talk good. some prospects again? Everyone. Maybe you guess. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I know yeah, I'm going to twist your arm to do these kinds of things, but. <laughs> no, let's do it. <laughs> All right. So uh, today's list is a pretty good mishmash of players. So we've got a couple left-handed pitchers. We've got a right-handed pitcher. We've got a guy who's establishing himself as a big-time slugger in the minors. And we've got a still young potential slugger in the minors. And and I'd say one one or two of these guys is guys I would imagine, and you can probably correct me if I'm wrong, but I would be dangling in trade offers if I was the Cardinals right now, seeing as though they may need some starting pitching here soon. Um, and it seems like there might be some hitters ahead of those two hitters. So those last two, I think are guys that I would be looking at as potential trade bait, even though I don't know that I really want to give up either one, but we'll get to that later. Let's start with a couple lefties. Uh, Starting today's list is a pick that the Cardinals in non COVID times, I think would have likely thought should have made a major league debut by this point in his career. Even if that still would have been a bit quickly 15th rated Zach Thompson was taken in the first round of the 2019 draft. Um, if I remember correctly, he was seen as a guy who could be a very quick riser through the system. He did rise all the way to triple a last year, even without a 2020 season to be had in the minors. He was one of the few pitchers in the organization who started nearly all year long. We talked a few uh, episodes back about how the Cardinals intentionally uh, made sure to get uh, starts and relieving roles and and all that out of a bunch of different guys in order to save arms and to build up innings. And he threw nearly a hundred innings. Unfortunately, they weren't necessarily great innings, but they were innings on the arm. Nonetheless, Um, in your article on Zach Thompson that you wrote several months ago. Now you talk about expectations and I think maybe my unfair expectations showed up in this lead up, but can you tell us more about Zach here as the first prospect discussed today in the 15 through 11 podcast? Um, what I like to preface, you know, context is important and we see a kid who's about ready to turn 25 or is 25, who is a first round draft pick. Um, who struggled at Memphis. 
but that only tells part of the story, right? Um, he, you miss all of 2020, and sure, uh, he was at summer camp or whatever, but you miss all of 2020, and then your first full season in the Cardinals organization in affiliated baseball is at AAA. And sure, the SEC is a great proving ground uh, for the Kentucky product. But it's not AAA baseball. I, I maintain, as somebody who has watched uh, Japan and who has watched Korea and has watched uh, the Caribbean leagues, that AAA is the second best league in all of baseball. I, I and again, not to disparage the KBO or uh, uh, the you know Japanese, but not to disparage any of that. I just I've watched it all, and I've watched AAA, and I I know how AAA can be, how difficult it can be. That is such a tough assignment for anyone. Uh, you know, even Matthew Libertor, who's younger than Zach Thompson, gets a leg up because he had more experience at affiliated ball before 2020 was canceled. So instead of looking at the statistical side of Zach Thompson, and instead of like trying too hard to pull out the positives, the areas that he needs to work on is getting ahead of hitters. He's not ever going to be effective if he can't get ahead of hitters. Uh, doesn't matter what he's throwing. Doesn't matter how nasty his stuff can be. He works behind far too often. Uh, and he works behind far too often because he's trying too hard to nibble at the corners, all four of them, uh, top and bottom, left and right. Uh, he needs to maybe even commit to throwing it right down the middle for that first pitch and just getting used to that. Like, I know that's terrible. I know that's probably not going to be a positive outcome, but he hasn't had a lot of positive outcomes up until this point. The other thing that we've seen is when his velocity is high, he's more effective. Uh, Same thing with Matthew Libertor, which we'll get to later, but like one of the positive signs, and again, we're recording this now that we're into spring training. One of the positive signs that I've seen out of him is that his arm action looks quicker his body looks more fit, and his velocity on the fastball specifically is up into the, the mid-90s consistently. There were times last year where in season it was the low 90s, high 80s. Uh, and that's going to help his stuff play up, just like you would suspect. He It would do him well to not beat himself up. It looked like he was working through that in spring training too. That's positives. But uh, as good as his curveball can be, as good as his potential changeup can be, uh, working with a four seam and maybe even a two seam. Uh, And he also needs to stop slowing down his arm when he throws his curve, which he was still doing in spring this year, which I did not expect to see. Uh, It just starts with strike one and maybe even strike two and then working on the rest of it there. A couple things from what you mentioned there. Um, I mean, even if he's not throwing right down the middle, but if he's trying to nibble at the corners, just pick, you know, low in the zone, outside in the zone, inside in the zone, or up in the zone. Not necessarily up and outside, but but even just picking a, a third of the zone instead of a ninth of the zone to go for type of thing. Sounds like it might be of a benefit to him early in the counts. Um, another thing is for those kind of old school fans, I, I think that I, I want to point out, I don't think Kyle is trying to stress that throwing harder is necessarily the always the answer there either, but when you have a guy like Zach Thompson who was sitting 89 to 91-ish, 92-ish, you said, and now he's maybe more mid, like 95-ish, you know, it, it's something that 
that if you can control it and if you, it could be a confidence thing. Like he's more confident throwing harder. It's harder to hit and he knows that. And so, um, so not necessarily just working on throwing harder, but if he's working on that and the command at the same time, or if he's working on just trusting his stuff in the zone because it's a better shape pitch or a better built pitch that players build pitches now that, you know, if he feels like it's a better build and it's going to work better for him, he can attack the zone more and he can, he, he can really let go as opposed to nibbling and, and being unsure. Cause sometimes that confidence is, is what it takes to, to move yourself up. Um, anything else about Thompson? No, I just want to like, he's definitely one of those guys. And maybe even with Delvin Perez from the last list, but if I were re-ranking this, I definitely would put them further back. Uh, you know, Polante would get raised, Graceffa would get raised, and maybe there would be a flip there. Um, and um, maybe I'm even with Zach Thompson. I'm trying too hard to. I, I'm, I'm letting that spring appearance, that very brief spring appearance. I was so disappointed to see him slow his arm again when he was throwing his curveball. Like, I couldn't believe it. I thought I thought for sure, with as good as that curveball could be, and uh, especially because he didn't do that stuff in Kentucky, when he was at Kentucky. So to see him slowing down his, his arm, even though the velocity was there, his body's in better shape, but to see him slow down his arm and then again maybe get rattled when some things didn't go his way, uh, trying not to be the prisoner of the moment there, I just expected to see more of that first outing and it's kind of messing with my head. So uh, that's my last thought on, on Thompson, not to disparage him. I still think he's going to contribute at the major league level. I don't know in what capacity uh, he still obviously has things to work on. Uh, I just, at this point right now, I like some guys that I have further on the list, further back on the list more than I like him. Understandable. I got gotcha. you. Uh, another left-handed pitcher on our list tonight is number 14 on the list. So jumping right into him is Connor Thomas. Um, it seems like Thomas, uh, based on the stats, based on what you wrote in your article, really used his time off in 2020 due to the COVID season to rededicate himself in the same way of like a Randy Rosarena or others reportedly did. I think a Rosarena is the one that stands out to most people because of how great he did at the major league level and, and all that. But I think a lot of players kind of rededicated themselves in ways that they hadn't thought about. Um, that just seems to be the prime name. Uh, Thomas though, really looks like he could be an MLB player at some point now, but what I'm worried about, um, being kind of a soft tossing kind of guy, if I remember correctly, um, is he going to be just a Tommy Parsons and get a cup of Joe? Is he going to be a Brad Thompson that holds on to a swing type job? Or do you think he's a major league starter? Uh, Connor Thomas is so much fun. So, you know, last year, part of the reason we were frustrated as Cardinal fans is he was uh, the Cardinals didn't have pitchers who throw strikes. They didn't have starters who threw strikes. Uh, they didn't have relief pitchers who throw strikes. And that's not Connor Thomas. Connor Thomas is going to throw strikes, and he's going to use four pitches to throw strikes. He's going to use uh, uh, he's going to use a fastball. Actually, actually, he throws a four seam and a two seam. Uh, he throws a curveball and a slider and a changeup with less frequency. Or actually, no. I'm wrong. He throws a slider and a changeup and a curveball with less frequency. He'll dip that curveball in every once in a while. Although I'm pretty sure it's a slider. I just think that it has curveball motion. Um, you know how they can loop like that sometimes. They mm -hmm. can be kind of uh, uh, separated from a categorical standpoint. Um, but yeah, so his 
he just commands four pitches really well. His his changeup is probably the pitch that he commands the least, and his forcing fastball is the pitch that gets hit the most. Um, but all of his pitches, he commands pretty decently. You know, I would I'd say that I love it. I love the fact that he can use his two seam, uh, which you know, as a lefty, has arm side ride um, that kind of mirrors his changeup, and he can use those two pitches against righties and then break that slider in on righties. I, I love the fact that all of his stuff plays up against lefties. Um, I, you know, I, I could, I'm, well, I'm not, I, I don't know why I'm hedging here. I was going to say I could be wrong, but I know I'm not wrong. He has uh, above average spin on his fastball, on his two seamer, on his slider and his changeup. Uh, and they all work properly. So what separates him from somebody like Tommy Parsons is all of these things are working in his advantage that help to mitigate some of his low philosophical, some of his low velocity tendencies. <laughs> uh, and, and he's, he has a repeatable motion that's quick and he's at his best when he's starting a lot of the failures that he had last year and failures. I lose, I use very loosely as a term, but a lot of the statistical ineffectiveness he had was when the Cardinals were trying to throttle back everybody's, all the starters, except for Libertor pretty much. And Connor Lund, uh, trying to th- throttle back all those innings pitched and kind of got him some bullpen innings. And he just, it didn't seem to ever really work out well for him. Uh, so yeah, look, the, uh, Connor, uh, Connor Thomas, I has made me a believer, you know, of all of the draft picks in 2019. when they went pitcher collegiate pitcher heavy, he was, you know, I was not, I wasn't a summers fan. I'm glad they traded summers. Uh, but in those first 10 rounds, Palante was my favorite from that draft, and Thomas was probably my least favorite because when I watched him, he looked like a loogie. So to see him go from that loogie, which is probably just my own, because you know, obviously the Cardinals thought highly of him, right? Uh, fourth round draft pick, right now, sixth round draft pick, right? Sixth, right hold on, now. I can, fifth. I can do it, I fifth, can, fifth. All right, so a fifth round draft pick. Uh, the Cardinals were on him. But to see what he's developed into, what he's been able to turn himself into, uh, this is a kid who could, he's definitely going to be able to fill some valuable innings for the Cardinals when it's time for him to do it. Awesome. Um, for those of people who like projection systems, Zips has him. Uh, if he threw 127 and a third this year, according to them, uh, well, actually, no matter how many innings he throws, they have him at a 4.17 ERA and a 4.24 FIP. So they have him in 127 innings as a 1 1.4 WAR guy um, with a winning record. So hey, and only walking two and a half per nine, which is maybe the best part of the projection. There, only eight percent of batters faced walk according to Steamer. Um, I don't know what the percentage would be according to Zips for projections. So uh, in the minors, he was also a big ground ball guy, it looks like, according to the stats. Um, yes. 2019, he sat around uh, right around 60%. And then again in 2021, sat right around 60% um, ground ball rate. Yeah. So he's a guy who, who, hey, he's a lefty. He can get ground balls. Um, he doesn't strike out a ton of guys, but he doesn't walk many. Um, it sounds like somebody that they just spent forty-four million on. Uh, honestly, yeah. So took the words right out of my mouth, Ben. It's good when I'm thinking. Well, it's usually good when I'm thinking along <laughs> the Kyle Reese. Yeah, we're both drinking. <laughs> Hello, audience. We're both drinking. <laughs> 
Um, okay, well, as that's uh, a typical pad thing. I have a um, an Oktoberfest from Shells up in, I believe it was Minnesota. So this is a really good oh. year. So Shells Oktoberfest, everybody uh, enjoy. Go ahead and get one out. Get one. You might have to wait till August or September because it's an Oktoberfest. But, <laughs> you know, uh, it's been sitting in the fridge for a hot minute. Kyle, what about yeah, you? I- I am drinking a Moscow mule, uh, not in a mule glass that I make with uh, Tito's vodka uh, and then some sparkling ginger beer I get from Aldi and then uh, Luxardo cherry juice. And I dedicate this to Cardinal's gifts because uh, he knows he knows nothing but good about Moscow mules and because I want to make love to him continuously. Uh, Also, speaking of people I want to make love to continuously while we're doing pad right now, uh, John Denton. If I could have one love <laughs> session with one man, it'd be John Denton, that poor son of a bitch. And also C70, <laughs> who will be in bed with me as I'm broadcasting from bed in just moments. That is when I turn the video off and we just go audio. Um, number 13 on the list, because we got way sidetracked there. Um, number 13 on the list is a pitcher named Angel Rondon. You may have noticed him in the major leagues at one point or another in the past couple of years. Uh, he's the only guy on your list this year to have actually made a major league debut in a regular season. Um, he threw two innings. He had a strikeout, a hit allowed, a walk allowed, and seven batters faced. Um, I'm a guy who loves pitchability in a pitcher. We kind of talked about one of those pitchers last time in Gordon Graceffo. Uh, you talked about one today a little bit with uh, Connor Thomas already. Uh, Rondon has that in spades. He's a pitcher who you've talked glowingly about in the past. I've really rooted for because of how you've talked about him. What do you have to say about the 2021 version of Rondon and what he could look like and his role could look like in 2022? The toughest thing about Rondon is in an age of spin, he's on the bottom side of spin, right? Uh, uh, what we've always said about Rondon is he pitches with a good amount of deception if he's moving quickly, I think I think sometimes his his motion, his pitching motion slows down. And I think that actually where it might help some other pitchers, I think it hurts him. I think he's at his best when he's when his motions are fast and deliberate. Um, and then that's like when his his deception plays the most. He has a fastball that gets hit. Um, the problem is in 2021, it got hit over the fence a lot and it got beat around a lot. Uh and because of that, he didn't show the same command of his breaking pitches that he had in the past. Um, specifically with him, that big, what is kind of a curveball and what is kind of a slider uh, that is classified as a slider, but sometimes it looks like a curveball too. Uh, and you can tell that he's doing it on purpose. Um, and, I, you know, I would say that I was pleased because it seemed like his changeup took some steps forward as well, but it just, because of how vulnerable that fastball can be, because he seemed to slow himself down, uh, he got beat around a lot. And I don't think that that's the best indication of the pitcher he's capable of being. I think that also probably tells us that he's going to be best in short innings, which also probably tells us that at 14 on the, the, wait, where is he on the dirty flirting? 13. At, uh, at 13 on the dirty flirting. I think 40. he was at 14 before Plummer got to That's it, right. So. Yeah. Um, 
that means he's too high at 13. He's another one of those prospects that if I was re-ranking, I'd push back. Uh, but he's also one of my personal favorites to watch, even when he is getting beat around. I just think he has like the mentality of a, of an old school pitcher. I just think I'm not sure if it's a matter of learning a two seam. You know, he throws a traditional four seam. I'm not sure if maybe incorporating a cutter to keep people off of balance, off balance from that four seam, uh, and maybe have a different um, uh, movement profile from the slider. I'm not sure if that would make a difference or if he's even capable of any of that. Uh, but I, I just think that that fastball is too vulnerable and his velocity isn't enough to overcompensate for the vulnerabilities of the fastball. But he's still a guy who you could see serving and filling some important innings for the Cardinals in 2022 in whatever role they need him. So a question that came to my mind while you were talking about that on the last episode with a couple of the right-handed pitchers. And then again, with Rondon here, another right-handed pitcher, you've talked about how their slider slash curveball kind of has tendencies of both kind of a big dropping slider or a something of that ilk. Do you know, is that something the Cardinals have intentionally gone out after, or is that just happens to be prospects that are fairly high on our list that we've talked about recently? You know, it's different with Rondon because Rondon's breaking pitch has always been classified as a slider, but I think he calls it a curve. Um, I, I don't know if they necessarily went after that with him. You know, I, I think about like Matthew Libertor obviously has a big curve that people like. Uh, Zach Thompson obviously has a big curve that people like. But Libertor's best pitch is his slider. It's not up for debate. Like, you know... Uh, Thompson for a while was toying with a cutter thing and that was almost better than his curveball. Uh, uh, Connor Thomas, who we just talked about a second ago, his slider is maybe what sets him apart and how he can use it inside on righties. Um, I think that the Cardinals. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'll just say, I, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I think they're just looking for pitches that'll play. Okay. Uh, I think that obviously they care about RPMs now uh, you know, things like that, uh, movement profile, uh, x-axis, you know, like that stuff matters. Uh, I think that, especially when you're talking about international kids, kids who sign at the age of 16, 17, 18, I think that maybe it's just, I mean, they have all that data on on those kids too, but I think it's just as much about getting them in and seeing what happens. Gotcha, gotcha. It just, it just struck me because it was two of the th- four righties last time and then the one righty this time. So it was three out of the last five righties and then all, all, all this week. So just wasn't sure. Thanks for answering that. All right. So that basically covers the three pitchers tonight. Anything else you want to add about them before we move to the position player side of things? I don't even remember who we talked about. (laughs) Okay. How many Moscow mules? No, just don't answer that. Um, (laughs) No. So the next two guys really get into the power potential, I think, of some of the Cardinals, begin to get into the power potential of some of the Cardinals hitters on your list. Um, at number 12, you have Luke and Baker. And Luke and Baker, I think, can best be described as a beast of a human being. Um, but with Goldschmidt at first base and also Nolan Gorman at third and second and having Nolan Gorman and Juan Yapez and Jordan Walker all ahead of him, uh, but basically consequently blocked by those guys, despite the DH coming to the NL is Baker, the next guy to leave St. Louis and put up 25 plus homers somewhere else. No, 
Let me tell you why. Because, uh, oh boy. Uh, see, this is where you stop yourself and you think to yourself, hey, watch what you say, dummy. Uh, I don't think so. Because I think... <sighs> oh, God. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble. So uh, here's what I think. is I think the Cardinals value defense even from a DH position. I think part of the th- reason that Juan Yepes hasn't necessarily clicked with this coaching staff... Uh, uh, and then uh, let me rephrase when I say click. I mean, uh, we've heard Ali Marmol talk about... Uh, uh, and this was quoted in the Post-Dispatch. We heard Ali Marmol talk about, you know, Juan Yepes is going to help our team at some point. Uh, he's still trying to figure out the defensive side of the baseball, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think that you could almost make an argument that if one of the two between Yepes and Baker would be on the trading block, that it might even be Yepes because Baker has worked tirelessly to become an average to above minor league first baseman. Uh, he's not going to play the outfield where... At least Yepes will be able to run around out there a little bit. And also, Yepes, we'll get to Yepes in a little bit, but like his best position is third, even though he's he's okay there because he likes that position. It's where he's comfortable. Uh, but I could almost envision a situation in which Luke and Baker becomes a preferred option for the organization, uh, which also, the little bit that we know about how this organization works, uh, to your point about like, trading for pitching and not to get off the prospect the prospect talk right now but like I can't imagine a time in my life where the Cardinals would trade for Sean Manea or uh Frankie Montas when everyone else is trying to trade for those guys uh that's an outbidding situation the Cardinals don't get involved in that very often no, right they uh they didn't outbid for Paul Goldschmidt they didn't outbid for Nolan Arnato they got their guy they 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 had the situation the situation was perfect and they got their guy uh, so, yes, they might be able to use these guys, uh, him and Nunez, so we're going to get to here in a second, uh, uh, in a trade to upgrade pitching. Uh, and if I'm a team that needs a power first baseman, I'm trading for Luke and Baker because uh, as much as much as he has done to streamline his swing, to get the the power out of it, uh, the most, and he has, what, what Russ Steinhorn and what Tiger Peterson and all those guys have done to to help, and along with with um, uh, Luke and Baker himself, have done to to push that swing to the next level, uh, power wise. Um, it's not nearly as impressive, even though impressive, as what he's done to himself defensively at first. I uh, the the kid I watched in 2019 that was flailing around at Palm Beach looked terrible. He looked like he would never be able to be anything other than a, a, a DH, uh, which doesn't exist at the minor league level. And to see him now, uh, before we even got to spring training, but to see the what he looked like at Springfield when he was healthy, you know, he saved so many errors for good defenders. He saved so many errors uh, for 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 Delvin Perez and Brendan Donovan and Nolan Gorman uh, and Nick Dunn and Malcolm Nunez. Uh, he he was such a, a he was so good over there, and he made so much progress over there. And the rumor is, the story is that he's only gotten better over there since then. So uh, I. The what I like most about him is obviously his commitment, his ability to tap into power. Uh, even though the ball was will spin weird off of his bat, um, I I just love what he's been able to do with his entire game in such a short period of time. Yeah, those numbers, Kyle uh, w- w- didn't mention just the power that he mentioned. That Baker only had just under four hundred plate appearances last year. He had over twenty doubles. Uh, 21 doubles, 26 homers. He had an ISO of 281. 
Um, so isolated slugging is your slugging percentage minus the average. So basically it's your batting average on extra base hits. He hit 281 on extra base hits alone last year, basically. Uh, not not quite that, but uh, man, just it's a lot of power. Um, when you think about some guys that had huge power for the Cardinals last year, um, Tyler O'Neill, and I'm just getting to it as quickly as I can. Tyler O'Neill's uh, ISO, sorry, the Tyler O'Neill's isolated slugging last year was about 280. And so you're talking about a guy who, yeah, he was in the minors, but Luke and Baker at AA and AAA, the highest levels of the minors, basically had the same type of power production as Tyler O'Neill did at the major league level. Um, so really cool season for Luke and Baker. And you can see the way Kyle describes him as, as uh, a guy who works hard to hone his craft and all that, that yeah, maybe the Cardinals don't trade him. Maybe the guy, maybe the Cardinals say, Hey, Maybe it's uh, Juan Yupez, like Kyle said, or maybe it is this next guy, Malcolm Nunez, who, if you're ready to talk about him, did you have anything about Luke and Baker before we talk about Malcolm Nunez? Yeah, just what my last thought is, okay. let's be grateful that there wasn't a Rule 5 draft. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially now that the DH is is in place uh, in the National League. And I am fascinated to see what his 2022 season looks like. I would, you'd figure he's getting a lot of at bats at Memphis. Uh, and you start him at AAA. So again, I look, I can do the depth chart, uh, but the assignments and where these guys are going to start, I, you know, he ended the year at AAA last year. Mm-hmm. So I would assume that he's going to start there uh, and maybe how the major league roster ends up playing into all of that. Yeah. Uh, well, so, but and- yeah, like, did you see the the tweet about or the the news about um, April looks like is going to be twenty eight men at the major league level, and so that's two yeah. more guys from AAA moved up that maybe Lucan does have a spot there. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm anxious to see how teams handle pitching. You know, my assumption, like if I'm running a front office, uh, I'm bringing two more pitchers. Uh, especially, my assumption it's going to be fourteen and fourteen as far as position oh. players. I don't know if that's true, but that would be my assumption because the last couple of years they've tried to keep it even, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, no, uh, not not in 2020 because that season was stupid. Oh, that's right. Um, but uh, outside of that, yeah. Yeah. So that's, so that's, that's that was... my assumption, but I don't, I don't know if it's true. So don't. Don't anybody think that that I know what I'm talking about on that one? <laughs> one more, th- one more thing about Luke and Baker. While I'm thinking yes, about it, please do. You know, at the beginning, you know, th- they worked, and again, Russ Steinhorn and Tiger Peterson deserve a ton of credit with all of these bats that we've talked about, then uh, especially in the top twenty and beyond the top twenty. Uh, those guys have done incredible work with the Cardinals hitters, using the hitting lab, uh, using modern technology to 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 maximize help maximize these guys' skills. Uh, at the beginning of the season with Luke and Baker, we saw a lot of warning track home runs. Uh, and then at the end of the year, we saw those home runs be manifested. Those warning track shots be manifested into home runs. Well, what won't show up on the stat sheet, just like with Juan Yepes, is how often this guy would sh- just shatter a baseball just foul. Uh, oh. I mean, just foul. I mean, and hit a ball 400 feet down the line. They were monster shots that they would just miss, just turn on. Those are positive signs because that means they're identifying the pitch. They might be a little ahead of it, but they're identifying it and getting ahead of it early. Uh, one thing to pat myself on the back, 
we called this with Luke and Baker. We knew that his we knew his double numbers would turn into home runs. Uh, sure, twenty twenty was missed, so we were wrong about that. Uh, when when it would happen, and that his double numbers still wouldn't necessarily uh, uh, suffer. They wouldn't take like a huge huge hit. So uh, what we did is we got lucky that Luke and Baker did Luke and Baker things. Uh, so big ups to that kid. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so now moving on to Malcolm Nunez at number 11 on the list. He's a guy who I was really excited about for a hot minute, but I mean, the dude was OPSing 1400 in the Dominican. So obviously it's easy to get excited about him. He's kind of fallen off my radar at least a little bit, but he's still high enough on everyone else's list to be like a top 10 to 15 guy, like in yours. He's the guy in this group that I think could be the biggest trade bait for a big star like Eli Mon- Elahiris Montero was last year for Nolan Arenado. You say in the write-up of Malcolm Nunez that there might be a bit of helium to his ranking. Explain how. Does that mean he's a bit high on the lists to you, those other lists, or that you see that he could be rising up lists quickly? He's already risen up the list pretty quickly, right? Uh, you know, he and John Tav- uh, Yo, uh, Jan Torres were kind of at the same point entering the 2021 season, and one one accelerated their development and their prospect standing, while the other one kind of laid stagnant. He just can hit, right? Some guys just know how to hit, and I can envision envision a situation in which Malcolm Nunez is always hitting, regardless of where he's hitting at. It's just the rest of it is really weird. The way he runs is really weird, but he's fast and he has great instincts. Uh, the way he plays a field is really weird, but he can be dynamic, not just good. He can be dynamic over there and he has a lightning arm. That arm is strong from third. I, he, it's just like his footwork is so weird. And there's, I mean, even in the box, his footwork's weird, but he also has some, some of that like Randy or Rosarena power, you know, like, Maybe it's now with not watching any video of Nunez in a long time, not watching any video of a Rosarena in a long time, but I could almost envision a situation. Uh, and again, I don't know if he's going to be able to stick at third. You know, he's he's five foot ten. I don't know if that means he'll have to switch to left field. If that means he he can play second, I don't think he has the capability to play second. Uh, you know, especially if he if he gets a little older, uh, has some wear and tear on the body. Uh, probably means he has to go to an outfield if he can't stick at third, which right now he probably can, but I don't know if that's a long-term, like, serious ask. Uh, but I think there's a lot there where you could see Malcolm Nunez having a similar offensive production uh, to what Randy Arena had uh, before Randy ate chicken and rice every night and did 200 push-ups uh, every night. Uh, maybe that's Malcolm Nunez thing. Maybe that's what he needs to do to stick at third or whatever. Uh, right now he can, it's just, there's something about the way that kid plays baseball. And it's not like from a, he plays hard or he doesn't play hard enough, or it's just like his, he's so weirdly athletic that I can't figure it out. And he's not like aesthetically pleasing to watch because it's kind of like really choppy and it's lacking fluidity. Um, but he's just a baseball player. Like he's he'll do amazing things. You know, he's like when you watched Yachty as a 21 to 24 year old chubby catcher, it didn't make sense why he was as good as he was. And Malcolm Nunez is kind of that at third base where you're like, I don't understand how any of this is working, but it's working. So hopefully it lasts 25 years. 
Right, right. All right. Interesting. Okay. I, I, I just think like, I like... Go ahead. I was saying, just like all those other minor league hitters that we've talked about uh, that have been drafted or signed over the last four years, uh, that have had the opportunity to work in the pitching lab or the hitting lab with uh, the hitting instructors, they can all use the field. You know, Baker is pretty well pull first. Uh, but other than that, they can all use the field how they need to when they're on. And that also is a category that Malcolm Nunez fits into. Very cool. Very cool. I, I think the verbal version of that, as opposed to the article version of that, and I know you always claim to not be a writer, but the verbal version of that, I think, hit home a lot better than the written one did for me. So hopefully, cool. hopefully that resonated for as many of you out there that actually listen to our, our, our drivel. Uh, and, uh, and that will end this episode. So um, we are about to embark on the top 10 of Kyle's list coming up soon. Um, we will divulge who they are. I did kind of mention on the last episode that we're getting near the end of the pitching portion of our prospects. The Cardinals typically in the past have been a pitching heavy organization at the top of their list in the minors. Kyle talked last time and this time about how uh, the last few drafts have been a bit different with their pitching and, and they, the fruits of those labors may start coming to a head fairly soon. But what is coming to a head to me seems to be that we have a log, a log jam of just very good position player prospects that uh, maybe aren't all on the cusp of the majors, but are on the cusp of fighting for top 10 spots in the current Cardinals organization. And and that's kind of a, a breath of fresh air to see because it's been a long time since the Cardinals have had that. We will start getting into that next time here on Conversations with Saruti, and I hope you join us then. Have a wonderful evening.